0: Malachi chapter 1, Malachi chapter number 1, and uh, tonight, however, I do have lifesavers. Okay, not only cough drops, but lifesavers, so that might make a difference, okay? All right, Malachi chapter 1, um, we're going to uh, dive into this chapter. We're, we're, as far as verses are concerned, we're not going to get uh, as far as I would like to. However, uh, it needs the time that we're going to spend in this chapter, in this section, uh, this evening. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this fellow, Malachi. Uh, again, there are some that suggest it was a position rather than a man, but I strongly disagree with that. I believe it was a man, and I believe that was his name, obviously. And uh, even though uh, he, uh, we know so little about him, his message was very, very powerful against the nation of Israel for several reasons. One, for their shameful and disgraceful activity uh, uh, against God, for their sinfulness, uh, their idolatry, things that they had, had known better. Now, we're, we are at the close of Israel's history. As as, as as far as the Old Testament is concerned, when, when Malachi finishes, there's going to be 400 years. 400 years of silence. God doesn't speak to them. God doesn't send them a messenger. He doesn't give them a prophet. He gives them absolutely nothing for 400 years. Can you imagine what that would be like if God went silent in your life for 400 years? Not that anybody in here is 400 years old, but... I mean, if he, if he was silent in four years, can you imagine what your life would be like if God didn't speak to you, if God didn't do anything? If, if God didn't manifest himself, reveal himself in some form or fashion for any length of time, it would be a travesty. Well, Israel's going to experience that. So what Malachi is doing, he is trying his best to make them aware because what he's carrying with him is a burden. It's a burden of his, but it's also a burden of the Lord. The Lord has this burden for Israel, but, and, and we're going to see why here in just a second. Um, so so when we look at this, let's, let's keep that in, in mind. After all the things that God had, had done for them on their behalf, the years of protection, the, the miraculous provisions, the unmistakable... Uh, things that it, it could only be God, or you know, I've heard it said this way: it, it's a God thing. You know, sometimes when God answers a prayer, when God does something, we know it's it's a God thing, no other explanation. And see, Israel had experienced it. Yet, yet they're at that place; they're at this particular moment in their history. There, they are resisting Him. So the message is simple; the message is direct. And he calls them out, and he asks them these questions. What would what would cause them uh, to think about? He wanted to try to get their minds motivated to thinking about the things that God had done, and and uh, before they make such a strong um, um, advocacy against God or make a statement against him, and and mind you, Israel in this passage in this in this book, they ask him very. Uh, very serious questions against God and uh, I, I don't think that I could do that, you know, I, I do believe this, I, say, I think it is okay sometimes to ask why when we're inquisitive, not questioning the authority of God at all, but why, why did this happen? When we ask that question, why did such things happen or why did some, you know, some, some event happen or, or take place in our life, I, again, I think it's okay to ask that question so that we can find the root cause of why God did or why God did not do something. Because there's always a reason. Now, again, it's not questioning the ability nor the authority of God and who God is. However, Israel did that with their questions. God really did love them. He really did care for them. And we're going to see that tonight. So tonight, uh, we're going to read several verses here. We're going to read uh, at least down through uh, verse number 11. Uh, Even as we did last week, I believe, is where we stopped off. But this is, this is what we're going to look at tonight, God's enduring love, okay, God's enduring love for the nation of Israel. Let's read, beginning with verse number one, <clears throat> the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I've loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and Laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. They shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see and Ye shall say the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offered polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person? Saith the Lord of hosts. And now, I pray you, Beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering in your hand from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered into my name. And a pure offering, for not my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. And We'll stop reading here just to conserve a little bit of time. We're not going to be able to deal with all of these things. But I think we do need to spend a considerable amount of time in these first five verses which were what we're gonna look at tonight, as long as I don't start coughing. All right. If I do and it gets really bad, we'll quit and pray and go to the house, all right? Y'all right? Okay. All right. So here <clears throat> here's some facts. The fact that Malachi uses the word burden here shows us and proves to us uh, and tells us what's going to be that this book <laughs> <clears throat> all right, let's pray. No, I'm sorry. Um, extended, okay, all right. Because uh, I want to get this out. All right, the fact that he, that he uses the word burden is an indicator to us that the words that he's going to give are not going to be very comforting to Israel. Okay? They're, they're going to be more along the lines of rebuke. They're not be, there's not going to be a whole lot of encouragement. There is some, but not a whole lot of it. Because Israel has basically done this to themselves. Have you ever heard that phrase, I told you so? You've done this to yourself. You made your bed now. Lay yeah, lay in it, lie in it, depending on what part of the country you're from. So that being said, that's basically what's happening here is that Israel has a they have they have extended their their, their the time in which they have been blessed by the Lord, and as a, even, even after the blessings that they had received, they still fell back into those traps when temptation came. They, they went back into a, a, a series of idolatry, a, a time of, of evil, a time of wickedness, a time of sinful activity. Now, when, when he writes here, <coughs> Malachi, of course, the word of the Lord comes to him, and he's speaking on behalf of God. God is not using psychology, a psychological approach with the questions that he asked. God is very sincere in the questions that he asks him. You know, sometimes when we're in conversation with somebody and they, uh, we, we ask them questions, we, it's, it's, a, it's a psychological thing. All right, has, everybody done, has anybody ever done that? How many parents do that to your kids? Okay, you do that to the kids, you ask them questions to get them to think about certain things. Or how many husbands and wives do that to each other? Don't raise your hand on that one, okay? So, so sometimes that psychological approach that people will use in ask questions. Look at it, think about it this way. When the Pharisees came to Jesus, how many times did Jesus ask them a question already knowing the answer? Because right. he could see in their hearts, he already knew what they were thinking. So, so he knew everything about them already. And so they would come to him and 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 ask him a question or make a statement, and try to trick him. But yet he would come along and ask them a question and make them look like fools, basically. Well, that is not God's approach here. Okay, it, it wasn't that kind of of of. Uh, uh, approach to them at all to try to get them to think that way. God was sincerely trying to get them to think about what they were saying and the questions that they were asking were foolish questions. What God was asking was sincere questions to them. So I want us to look at this All right, tonight. First of all, I want you to see this in the first five verses, and this is about all we're going to get to tonight is that, that there is the rebuke of the nation. Now, when, I, when we give the head in God's enduring love, the first thing he has to do is to rebuke them because they ask a question, well, when did you show love to us? Uh, and I, to that, I, I kind of have to say, are you serious? How many times does God have to do something for even us? He doesn't have to prove His love at all. He shows it daily to us. And, and, and yet, how dare any of us to even say that to Him? Does God really love me? Whoa. That's, that's basically what Israel's doing here. So Malachi uses this. to to rebuke them. Look at this, if you would. Verse 2 begins off very strongly, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Now, how many of us here tonight, we believe exactly what God says? You believe what God says? Okay, we believe what God says. He says to them very plainly, very pointed, I love you. When God says, John 3, 16, that he loves us, okay, we interpret it that way because he said, for God so loved the world, and we're all included in that world, right? And, and we take that at face value, and we believe what God has said. But I want you to look at this now. Ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Wow. Do you see how deeply this would be concerning to the Lord? Or how heartbreaking that it would be? Here's, here's what was going on. In that day, the people, in Malachi's day... Their mind was not on spiritual things at all. They didn't think about God. They, uh, Rather, they, their thoughts and their action was on materialism. It was on humanism. It was, uh, they were consumed with dead religious rituals. All right? Dead religious rituals. Now, if I look at that and I see that in that day and look historically and see that that's what their mind was on, I can parallel that. To today, and I could see people's minds are on materialism, humanism, and dead religious rituals. You know what? The last thing we need—all three of those things—we don't need any of those things in our life. We don't. We don't need to be consumed with materialism. I, I, I will say this: I mean, for those of you that have gone with me overseas and, and things before, it'll—it's life. Uh, it's life-changing, isn't it? I mean, I come back home with this, with this kind of attitude. I don't need a thing in the world. I don't need a thing in this world. I could care less about anything else or uh, acquiring anything else in this world. Just seeing the poverty or seeing what people live and go through in, in, in some parts of the world. You know, but then, at the same token, I also see humanism. I see humanism at its worst. We can see that in being infiltrated into the United States of America, where there is more, instead of doing things in a godly manner, of which this nation was founded on, of course, we all know that, that we see humanism on the rise, meaning that man is placed in front of God in every form and fashion. And then on top of that when we when we have times of worship instead of truly worshiping God from the heart we're we're convinced that we have to go through certain rituals and and that is true in every denomination that exists there there are some that do it because it's 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 what they, it's on their script I, i'm i'm thankful for this we i mean we we don't have a script here Y'all know that because I stick my foot in my mouth, both of them sometimes, every service. We don't have a script. And that being said, I don't want to get involved in a, a, a ritualistic type of a worship system where, whereby it, it, it creates a problem. I don't want that at all. That, that is not what God wants. God wants us to give our heart. That's why that, that we need, in advance to coming to the house of the Lord, our hearts need to be ready when we walk in the place. We don't come here to get ready to worship. We should come already ready to worship, prepared in our hearts to worship the Lord. So, so those rituals are, are problematic. They, they have become so callous to the operation of God in their lives. And, and, and frankly, listen, let me be honest, we have done that as well. Churches in America have done that as well. We've become calloused to letting God move in our hearts. Oh, we, we've, we've never done it that way before. That's dangerous. We 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 can't we can't make a certain areas of adjustment and 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 change because we've never done it that way before. What would our forefathers say? They're dead. What are they gonna say? Huh? They ain't gonna say nothing. They can't say anything. Okay. So let, let's don't, we should not, we should have the, the mindset that we're not married to a ritualistic type of, 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 uh, of way of doing things just because it, that's the way it was done, you know, 300 years ago. Is everybody with me on this? Now, don't get scared. You're looking at me like you're scared out of your mind. Don't get scared. When we come to the God's house, we come to God's house to worship Him and to see Him and let Him work in our hearts. And if we do anything whatsoever to hinder that, then we've got a problem. That's what was going on in that day. Because God says, I love you. And then they had the audacity, and I'm going to say this very carefully, sometimes we have the same audacity as the Israelites in saying, when would you love us? God loved them even though they didn't deserve it. Do any of us deserve his love? Not a one of us. But I will say this, that love, the love that God had, did not release them from the obligation that God had given to them. Just like God has given us responsibilities, duties, and obligations to follow through with, and we need to do that as well. Israel had that uh, with, with them. God had brought them out of captivity and given them a homeland. And, but but he, one thing he didn't do, he didn't do it for Esau. Watch this now, look at this. I've loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now, keep in mind, verse 3 is a continuation, because at the end of verse 2 is a comma. And so who's speaking? God's speaking. Alright? Now, let me say this very carefully. There are some who say, well, this is kind of like that I love you more, kind of thing. In that, when he said I hated Esau, it's it's like we know the Bible has has several different words for love, and some of them means that intimate relationship kind of love, that uh, sacrificial love, the agape love in the New Testament, and then there's the other kind of love that's like, well, I like you, and then there's some uh, I'm fond of you. So there's different levels of love. That's in the in the New Testament. We're not in the New Testament. You know what the word hate means here? It means hate. Well, why? Did, I thought God loved everybody. Yeah, but He also has an element of hatred. Now, he hates sin. We know that. And, and I can't escape this. Well, I mean, it's it's tried to be explained that you know that God loved Jacob so much more that what appeared to Esau was hatred. I don't know about that. And here's why Jacob was a man who followed God. Esau didn't. He just didn't. Jacob loved his heritage, Esau Esau hated his birthright because he gave it up. There's so much about Esau and the life of Esau. Was, was to the degree <coughs> that we find that God said here and, and look here's there's proof of this. The, the proof is here he said was not Esau Jacob's brother. Now remember that the Lord told Rebekah said the younger uh, I'm sorry, the older shall serve the younger. Remember that? Jacob was the younger. Esau was the eldest. Esau was the one who was supposed to have received the birthright and the blessing. I'm, I'm telling you, Jacob is the one who did receive the blessing. Esau did not receive the blessing. Because God told Rebekah that's exactly how it was going to happen. So much about this man, Esau. In fact, he said here in verse number 3, he said, I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. That word dragons there means jackals. Or it could even even relate to lizards or serpents. He said, I'm laying them. It's like their whole land that they lived in was a wasteland. Now, when all of Israel returned from the Babylonian captivity... Remember that they rebuilt the temple. They left idolatry. I'm talking about Israel now. They rebuilt the temple. They left idolatry. They began to worship again. But God did not give them a reward like they hoped for. Talking about Israel. He he didn't fulfill some of the prophecies yet. Some of the prophecies that we've already talked about in the minor prophets. Yes, they had done many of these things, but but some of those things were just not fulfilled yet. And remember, we just talked about in Zechariah where he said that the Messiah was coming. Messiah hadn't come yet. He had given him the promise of the Messiah. We've talked about that over and again. But he hadn't come yet. And remember, 400 years of silence. If we think about that, well, the promise, the promise, the promise, the promise... And those promises have yet to be fulfilled. You see, as we look in the New Testament, Peter wrote this, that in the days, and we're in those days, that some will say, where's the promise of His coming? For our fathers talked about it before time, and He has yet to come. It doesn't mean He's not coming. It doesn't mean that He hates us because the promises had not been fulfilled. Means there's a, in part of God's timing, in part of, of God's prophetical calendar, if we look at it that way, they will come in due time, in the right time, in His time. But for Israel, their expectancy level was like right now, we want it right now. How I many you know somebody like, when well, you, you tell them something, they want it right now? You tell the kids, hey, we're going to do this, well, okay, win, win. Now, 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 I want it now. You can have candy after supper. No, I want candy now. So, so, so that that's where we're at with with this this element here of of Israel and, and Jacob and Esau. That so so Israel complains that that God has done has not done some things for them, and so that's why they question this. They were they were totally unaware of their own sinful activities, and it it hurt God. I think it hurt the Lord deeply that uh, that. They didn't show that love, or that love was, was not reciprocated. God loved them, but they didn't reciprocate that love back because of the way that, that they did. Plus, they just didn't see the, 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 the love of God for themselves because they were so spiritually blind. They were involved in the materialism and the, the, the ritualistic uh, worship, or they were involved in uh, humanism in that day. So all of those things were factors. Notice this, look look at this. In verse number 4, he said, Edom, whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished. That means that they have been demolished or they've been beat down. Here's Here's what Edom says. Edom says, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I'll throw down. Mm. They shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Watch this now. The word indignation here is important to understand as it connects with the word, I hated Esau in verse 3. The word indignation means that he is enraged with fury against them. I want you to notice something too. Throughout the entire existence of the Edomites, okay, that's who they are. Esau's descendants are the Edomites. They became very prominent at the end of the book of Genesis. We find them in Genesis, we find them in Exodus, we find them in the, uh, the, the wilderness one, we, we see them through the law and Uh, and, and Joshua and Judges and so on. We see the Edomites all throughout their history. It is not until the last book of the Old Testament that God says, I hated Esau. I have fury against them. I have indignation against them. Here's why. God has given them plenty of time to turn. Plenty of time. You look at the time frame between when, when Esau came about in the book of Genesis to the book of Malachi. We have several thousand years. And they've had plenty of time to turn themselves around. And yet they refused. Jacob decided to follow God, even though he had his moments of failure. Hey, can I tell you something? I've had my moments of failure too. Haven't we all? All right, but we still decide, we've decided to follow God, right? We've decided to follow Jesus. But Esau had, had indicated at times that he would follow God, but he didn't. He never did. He hated God, hated his birthright. He started a nation that hated anything that was holy. That was Esau. He started a nation. He, the, the religion of the Edomites is characterized by evil. And Watch this now. They, you know the, you know that that guy in uh, in Matthew chapter number two, that king. Remember what his name was? Matthew chapter two. Remember his name? King what? Starts with an H. Yes, King Herod. You know where he? You know what he? Who he came from? The Edomites. His his heritage is the Edomites. They attempted to destroy everything that that uh, to do with Jesus. We can go back further and we can see that throughout the course of history, the Edomites had, had some ideologies that would destroy the, the mindset of God's people at all. Jacob, he became that nation. This is wonderful. Jacob became that nation that the world would, would be blessed through. That, that nation from which the Messiah would come. And he did come. The, the, the nation, the, the man... Uh, and the nation from which we even have our Bible. So, so when, the, when the Edomites try to rebuild and regain power, God won't allow them to do that. He cuts them off. They, they will become a desolate place because of their sinfulness, and God will, will not uh, completely annihilate them. However, they will probably wish they had. But but the the show of his power over them proves his love for Israel. The power of God's God's righteousness over Jacob proves the love for Jacob and the hatred for Esau. Israel's going to witness that love of God towards her, her nation and toward herself nationally. As God reveals to them who He is. I want to show you something tonight. I've got something else because we talk about these different locales and different nationalities and stuff. If you would, please bring me, give me the first map on the screen. Now, if you'll notice here carefully, <coughs> I hope that you can see this. The large yellow spot at the bottom, that's the kingdom of Edom. All right? And so, just north of that, uh, to your left is the kingdom of Judah, right there. Okay, that's, this is when the nation was divided. Just north of that, in the blue, in the blue, that's the kingdom of Israel. All right, the red spot is the Philistine cities. Modern-day Gaza is in that area. It's much smaller than that, and you might be able to see it on the very, the very last white dot on that red area there. That's Gaza City, okay, or, um, or the Gaza itself. So, that, so, so we've been talking about that, haven't we? Well, the news has been talking about that. So that's that area, all right? Now, to the right in the purple, right of the... there you go, right there. That's the kingdom of Moab. Remember the Moabites? The descendants of Lot. Just north of that, kingdom of Ammon, also descendant of Lot. Wow. And then north of that, uh, the kingdom of Aram, Damascus. And just north of that, King can't is, is the Assyrian Empire. I want you to see what all Israel is surrounded by. People that hate God. The, the descendants from, from um, bad lineages is where the, all these these people that surround this area come from. Now, I've done, I know there's some other tribes and stuff that are mentioned there, and those are ancient tribes of, of that day. But here's what, I want you, here's what I want to do. I'm going to bring up another map that shows a modern-day regional area. This is a little bit larger, but I want you to look at this now. All right? So, you can't hardly see it, but over there on the left side. Can you get that pointer over there? Show us where Israel's at. Come down, come down, come down. Down below, uh, just uh, northeast of Egypt. There's a little yellow, right, whoa, right there. That's Israel, right in there. Okay, now this is a modern day map. Of course, to the south, you've got Egypt. Just to the east of Israel, you have Jordan. They're not real friendly with Israel. Modern day um, Jordan and part of Saudi Arabia is where the Edomites are from. They're still in existence, by the way. Then you have, if you look, you've got just north of there Iraq. And, of course, you have Iran. Iran. And then you have Syria over next to Iraq, over to your left. There you go. And all these things, and then of of course you got Turkey to the north, and and you got all the Stan brothers up toward the east and and north. All right. Y'all see the Stan brothers? Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. You got all those Stan brothers now. All right, I wanted you to see this just so that, so that when we're talking about these different areas of the world, and, and I know I've mentioned it numerous times about different regions, and, and when we, we look at biblical prophecy, we talk about a lot of these areas. And so when I talk, we talk about Iraq, Iran, there, there's a huge hatred, huge hatred for uh, Israel, along with, you know, Saudi Arabia is not real friendly either. The only reason Saudi Arabia hasn't done anything is because of the United States of America. Okay? And, and, so, and so we see a lot, of, a lot more problem areas just southeast of Saudi Arabia with Yemen and so on. So those hoodies, all right? The hoodies that just attacked? They're, they're right there. Yeah, there you go, that dark green spot. That's where that's at. So, so look how close. All of that that is that's going on right now. Now, when we talk about the attacks on Israel, all of these nations that surround I just mentioned, look how great a large landmass those are compared to the tiny little what color is that? Who? Gray? Blue? Yeah, where Israel's at? Usually when there's a large amount of land mass, that means there's a greater population. Is that not true? But they're all coming against one tiny little spot called Israel. God says here, even in Malachi, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, I have a great indignation for them because they would not follow. Now, tell me this. How many of those countries surrounding Israel today have decided to follow Jesus? I'm not saying there's not Christians in those places because we have a missionary in Egypt and he's winning some people to God. We have a missionary in Morocco. Morocco. We have a missionary in South Sudan, that's a hot spot, Uganda (laughs) as well. I know some people in, um, uh, have known some in Pakistan. I've met some in Tajikistan. There's all these different places. There was a great work going on in the country of Iraq. The missionary was killed in front of his family. Because there's a hatred for God from those places. Does God still love them? Oh, I think that God would save them if they would trust Him. Believe that with all my heart. No doubt in my mind whatsoever. But I will say this according to this passage of Scripture, God has an indignation and a fury. Against those that make the decision not to follow Him. And there's plenty of those that do. Look at this in verse 5. And read verse 5 and done. And your eyes shall see and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. What's the bottom line? That's God's enduring. God's enduring love. People are going to see that God loves Israel. They're going to see the border of Israel. They're going to see the border of of the Edomites and uh, the border of Edom. And the Lord's name is going to be magnified in that day. That's his enduring love. But one of the things he has to do first is rebuke the nation of Israel for their lack of spiritual discernment. So. I told you we wouldn't get very far <coughs> and here come the coughs. coughs let's pray real quick father we love you thank you for your blessings and your goodness thank you Lord for loving us in spite of us Lord we do ask your blessings and favors now upon this passage of scripture may it be helpful to us and to our understanding of your holy word, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whew, made it barely. All right. Um, I have two missionaries I want to share with you tonight, and then, and then something else that's uh, very exciting I want to share with you this evening. All right. First of all.